the dominant narrative around anxiety, depression, associated medications, and what it is to struggle is predicated on victim consciousness. And what I mean by that is that you are encouraged. I call it victim coddling, right? You're encouraged to say, I hate this. This sucks. Why is this happening to me? Please fix it. And who's going to come to the rescue is the system, the doctors, the experts, the gurus with the credentials who are going to tell you about you, what you can't possibly know, right? Because you can't possibly know your genes and your brain chemistry and whatever is the theory du jour. And the challenge is that the villain is you. <laughs> so you are fighting you with the help of the system. And this victim triangle is an endless parade of hat switching experiences of suffering. And it's very familiar. I've had many patients describe to me the validation that they feel when they finally get a diagnosis, their first diagnosis, they feel like, oh yes, I knew something was wrong with me. And now it's real, right? Now I can see and they agree that something is wrong with me. It's not my responsibility. It's not my fault. In this warfare model, there is no victory. There is no end. And that silent scream of chronic illness becomes your open air grave. I mean, it's really not even that traumatic of a rendering of the situation to describe it that way, right? So, and you can see how warfare threads through the conventional medical system because you just look at the name of these medications, right? They're all antis, anti-emetics, anti-hypertensives, antibiotics, anti-anxiety, antidepressants, antipsychotics. The fight is very tempting. It's very alluring. And there may be a time where that's exactly what you need to activate your energy. However, it's important that you know what the greater body of scientific literature and research has to say about this model. And that is my effort to provide the groundwork for informed consent that can't possibly be made available to you through your prescribing physician. Welcome to What's Left, a weekly political discussion challenging the mainstream left. I'm Eduardo Barco, a co-host, teacher in socialist and and writer and teacher Jessica. We are online at whatsleftpodcast.com. You can find that link to our site in the episode notes. You can also find our personal social media handles as at Don Eduardo Barca and at ZFTKE on Instagram for Kenny's and Jess's Twitter handle as at jhomie89. Uh, please subscribe, rate, review, turn on your notifications and share your favorite episode where we found this episode. Thank you. All right. Well, I'll just state this topic, which is big pharma. That is the discussion of today's episode. Uh, I want to make a quick disclaimer for folks. Uh, this will be discussing, uh, meds will be discussing uh, uh, personal experiences, but also a criticism of the medical industry and, and big pharma. This is in no way, shape, or shape way, or form. Uh, any medical advice for anyone. Uh, it is a, a topic of discussion for anyone to explore, to reflect, to dis think about, to provoke, uh, to think about critically. But uh, we want to state that it is in not, we're not your doctor and, and, uh, and we invite Thank people God. to just listen up. <laughs> <laughs> Anyhow.
we've just we've criticized and gone after big pharma around covid but we haven't discussed uh other areas of big pharma that i'm very glad just it was your idea to decide um or you know really convinced us to do this episode on mental health and as well as maybe discussing the recent mental health issues that are happening around this country that i think was uh, important to discuss uh did you want to add something you or jet or andy that just to this to this topic well i'll just say it was on my mind like specifically not just big pharma but like specifically talking about um antidepressants anti-anxiety like psychotropic psychiatric meds um and it was on my mind recently well it's always on my mind because every day i think fuck that i'm turned down those drugs on the several occasions that I was offered them and also that I'm no longer on hormonal birth control which I think there's some overlap um there which I'm sure we'll talk about or touch on but I was thinking about it specifically in light of the recent um mass shooting um because I think it's sort of an area that you know all the focus goes to the guns is it the guns is it not the guns right that tends to be the way that the discussion is framed um and yeah i i think um it's overlooked that the majority of mass shooting mass shooters uh are usually on at least one psychiatric med um and then i've also been thinking about it um just in the school context, um, like one of the things I do in my job is I'm on what they call like the academic standards committee. And one of the sort of major responsibilities there is to read um, appeals and then um, sit in hearings for students who are put on academic probation and then want to appeal it. So basically want a second chance to try to come back and continue their degree. Um, after they've failed to the point where they've been temporarily kicked out. Um, and I've just been noticing, I've been doing this like um, almost a year now, and I've noticed that almost across the board in their written appeals, you know, one of the things they have to do is like they have to articulate their plan for like how are things going to change? Why do they think they're going to do better? Why do they... Why should we give them a second chance? Um, you know, why is it worth their money to um, pay tuition? Um, and meds comes up. I, I'm I've changed my meds. I'm now on a better med. Um, you know, that's better for me. Um, I'm seeing a psychiatrist or I'm seeing a psychologist, um, and I've got my medications um, under control now. Or they're going to put me on a different one. Or you know, I wasn't medicated before, but not, not a hundred percent of them, but it is like, I, I mean, I should go through and actually count. It's insane. And like the fact that this is part of their academic plan, I think just kind of speaks to how like mainstreamed it is. Um, you know, I think it's like over 70% of the American population is on some sort of um, prescription medication. Um, and then, I don't know, we can, I'll, I'll shut up for now, but maybe in a little bit, we can get into like some of the like more specific stats in terms of like psychiatric meds and um, just the increase as well in more recent years. Like this is just going up and up and up the usage. Um, so 
yeah, that's a little bit of like why it was on my mind. Well, yeah, I, I, I didn't, this was, this would not have come up if uh, Jessica wasn't part of our show. Cause I wasn't thinking about this stuff. Like um, my, there's the big pharma as, as, as uh, Eduardo, you had mentioned, but I, I've been only thinking about that in the, in the lens of vaccines. And then there's that stuff about how Pfizer was nailed for um, opioid for the, for the drugs they, they were giving people to deal with uh, heroin, heroin addictions. What are those drugs called? Opioids. Yeah. Okay, opioid yeah. Opioids. And there was, there was criminality, like deep criminality in that. Um, but I, I've never really thought about, well, again, and then we have Tom comes in and basically lays down a framework for basically saying, not just that these medical institutions are not, are, are bad or, or are unable to, but they are actually sickness industries. They are, if, if capitalism is a sickness, and I do believe it is a bad sickness and a bad, bad disease for the entire system, then these are aspects of that system. They are, they are frontline soldiers for making working class people unhealthy. So I should be able to be able to think that through and think about what are these SSRIs or what are things like ADHD drugs. And I've always been, I've had my own background to being skeptical of this. Even at a young age, I, I, I was nervous about drugs that were supposedly even like the 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 whether they be natural or unnatural drugs that were like the ones that got you pretty high or mind altering things like that those always scared me because i was always afraid of what would happen and of course there are stories people can tell about vision quests and going on those sorts of things and how it can change your life for the better i have always just kind of stayed away from those but you know talking about psychedelics yeah psychedelics and things like that but you know caffeine and sugar you know it's all over i mean let's, let's, let's not be let's be clear y'all see me drinking this that kind of shit all the time so um that it's it doesn't add up but there's a, a section of these drugs that i would be like oh i don't want to do that one you know kind of thing but um but i will say that uh you know there's people i've known in my life who who definitely speak to the positive life-changing aspect that some of these drugs have had Maybe I'm, I'm, I don't know if I want to bring that up in here, but I will I'll have to see. But it, are but you talking about pharmaceutical drugs now? Yeah, pharmaceutical, like, like the SSRI, like some of these, like SSRIs or like some of the the activating drugs that are supposed to help you out of depression. The ones that are actually sold by the by big pharma, um, and uh, and so uh, I I well I my my whole framework, my political framework. I'm biased here. I am biased to, to come to the conclusion, and Jessica, you posed this question, like, and I don't want to, you posed this question in what you wrote, is wholesale rejection of all pharma a required piece of the revolutionary, of, of, of the revolutionary vision or struggle? That, when you wrote that, I, my first answer was, and my answer, my answer before I started was, I think so, and then my answer after looking into this was definitely yes. Like, all this stuff's kind of got to, again, go. That's how I feel about it right now. Um, but not so I, psychedelics, though. I just want to put that out there. That's a different. Uh, look, I understand, but I, <laughs> we'll talk about that on a different. Yeah, you know, I just don't want our our, our uh, listeners to get the wrong idea. Well, not you, all you're getting that idea from me because <laughs> I I don't know about any of these. Um, and I will say that the stuff that the least big pharma is doing is I'm I'm not comfortable with, and I or I would say it has to be fought against. Um, because it's part of an attack on us. So. I want to get more deep into it and you, you know, you, 
I, I told Jessica that, that there was some chemistry stuff I looked into because I don't know a lot about this stuff. Um, and there are some things that, like the question you said, how similar is Adderall to methamphetamine, like crystal meth, basically? Um, and I looked up both of them and they were very similar. Yeah. So we can, I can show you that. And that was really, whoa, look how similar these two are. Yeah. Well, maybe just like for a little bit of broader framing before we get into like organic chemistry. Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, probably a lot of people know um, about the umbrella study, but maybe that's like a useful framing piece. So, you know, for the past, I don't know, I feel like it started get, getting heavily pushed, I guess in the 90s. I don't know. You guys are, Andy's a little older than me, so correct me if I'm wrong, but I, that's when I remember this whole theory of like, depression and anxiety and like mental issues being framed through the narrative of it's just a chemical imbalance in your brain it needs to be corrected and you can take this thing called an SSRI you know serotonin what is it uh, serotonin reuptake inhibitor to correct this imbalance um and you'll be good <laughs> right and like that was pushed really heavily i remember like as i was growing up um to this day like most i think mainstream people still in america um kind of believe that theory um and there've been critics of it you know people like um peter bregan's a very well known um doctor who's been critical of that and been speaking speaking out against it for years and years pam popper kelly brogan people like this um but there was sort of a pivotal study umbrella study that came out last year and we can link it um that and it it wasn't just like one little study um i've got it here so they call it like an umbrella study and it came out in nature you know peer-reviewed and all that good stuff um all the credentials and everything and it included 17 different studies so the umbrella of that 12 systematic reviews and meta-analysis one collaborative meta-analysis one meta-analysis of large cohort studies one systematic review and narrative synthesis, one genetic association study, and one umbrella review, right? So this is like a lot of data. And basically their conclusion, I'll just read like one sentence, which is directly from their publication. So it says, um, the main areas of serotonin research provide no consistent evidence of there being an association between serotonin and depression and no support for the hypothesis that depression is caused by lowered serotonin activity or concentrations. Some evidence was consistent with the possibility that long-term antidepressant uses, use reduces serotonin concentration. So it was basically just like this definitive debunking of this totally bullshit narrative that's been pushed um, and, you know, the, basically amounted to a premise under which, you know, millions of people were medicated under these drugs. Um, and if you look back, like... As you know, listeners of this show probably, um, you know, would not be surprised to learn that the pharmaceutical industry, you know, ever since basically Prozac, which I think Prozac was like maybe late 80s, I want to say, was like the first SSRI that hit the American market. Um, um, I think that was Eli Lilly. 
And even though like, like the, they actually added a label like at that time, because there were reports of like violence, um, like self violence and then violence towards others that were induced by the drug. Like they actually had to add that to the label, even as early as like the eighties. Um, but anyway, essentially that the pharmaceutical industry infiltrated academic conferences, um, the media, Hollywood, like all of it to push this bullshit theory, um, as they do with vaccines, as they do with medicalized birth, as they do with virology, right? Like, um, and they succeeded in getting, getting this conspiracy theory really (laughs) into the false conspiracy theory into the mainstream, um, psyche to the point where even after this, you know, massive, like pretty much definitive umbrella study, um, debunks it, last year like i it, mainstream media like reported on that study a little bit um but i still don't think there's been like a shift in how the majority of americans think about these things and yeah like you guys were both saying i know lots of people who swear by their antidepressants swear by their anti adhd drug like they really think that it's saving their life um but the science would say otherwise Yeah, can I can I say just one thing that I mean again, and I'm going to show chemical structures of one thing just because I mean we might do it later too, but I, you know I I looked at the structure of um, serotonin, you know, and and I looked at it I was like, like I'm going to show it here. Oh, I got to show my share my screen, don't I? We need to put a disclaimer at the beginning of this episode because Jess is becoming too radical. <laughs> She's saying things that are gonna make us <laughs> get knocked, knocked out. <laughs> I gotta move your disclaimer. You know, this is no, I, not medical advice. I want to just re- say to Jessica that he's taking, he's literally editing you when you talk about arming the we- arming the workers and things like that. This dude down here, he's he's taking your, he's mansplaining to you about revolution. Oh boy, <laughs> you guys stop him. Anyway, sorry. Let's, but so here's the thing that's interesting to me because um, this is serotonin, and I looked at it, and since I had done crystal structure stuff, anybody who's a, works in uh, with a protein recognizes this little structure right here. This is the functional group of a tryptophan amino acid, right here. This guy right here. Um, it's got like a benzyl group and an amide. Um, and now, if I show you the structure of tryptophan, the amino acid, look right here you will see it's almost identical. You've got that same structure right here. You've got this amine group, the amine group that is also on serotonin, right? This is the amine group right here. And then the only thing you could add is you got a little carboxylic acid thing going on over here. Um, And then serotonin has an OH here. And I say that because uh, people all the time, like when people talk about Thanksgiving and, oh, turkey, I've eaten so much turkey. Why am I so sleepy? Why do I feel... Oh, it's tryptophan. Why do people say tryptophan? Tryptophan is connected to this notion because serotonin is a derivative or is made from tryptophan. And they're essentially saying that my serotonin levels are lower, you know, whatever, as a result of this inhibitor, this tryptophan inhibitor kind of thing. And so it's, it's just, it's this notion of serotonin being mood altering is deep in our psyche. And deep in the mythology of human society, of modern society, um, and these these 
these uh, this, uh, these study you, you cited that was a meta-analysis of other studies shows there's no evidence for this. And yet here we are running around. And again, it's like the Big Bang. You know, everyone's saying it. This is what it is. And yet there's out there's information out there that really suggests that it's completely wrong. Um, and it's not just that it's that it doesn't work, but we also have definitive evidence to suggest that it for some people, I'm not saying for every single person, but for some people can increase suicidal ideation and acting on that suicidal ideation, that it can increase um, violent tendencies toward other people. Um, I mean, not just like the most extreme side effects. Of course, there's lots of like lifestyle stuff, you know, weight, hormones, all of that kind of stuff, which can have repercussions in terms of, you know, just somebody's general well-being. And then, of course, the whole when you attempt to get off it, it's it's quite a miserable and difficult. And to add one more thing, in the same way that virology likes to say that a single strand of this single strand of DNA can determine so much about your your well-being, this thing is saying a single chemical, one single chemical can can have such a determinate determinative factor on a, on on everything, you know, and it's just like it it's um it's a very strange well it's a very um uh, it seems very this 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 theme keeps coming up where they try to like take human conditions and bring them down to single chemicals or single strands of dna um and it and to not, to to try not to try to have a more complex or more uh general or broader understanding of what might really be going on it's a very like robotic way to think mm. about the human body of like, well, I'll just increase or decrease this one little thing and that'll just crack them. Like this is not how we work. It's everything is connected to everything. I'm going to turn a light on because I feel like I'm really dark. I'm going to be radical. I'll be radical in better lighting. <laughs> okay, that's better. Eduardo, do you want to chat? I feel like you haven't gotten a chance to get a word in. There's a lot I have to say, but I'm appreciative that I was able to eat by dinner because I had back-to-back -back meetings and barely any time for myself. So here's what I'll, I'll add. <clears throat> Thank you, and forgive me, everyone, who's viewing me eating. I'm not one of those one of those Asian videos they do on Weibo or something where they, people are just eating in front of a camera. Mukbang. Then, is that it? <laughs> Mukbang or mukbang? I don't know how you say Something it. Something like that. Yeah, I noticed there was some trends, and I thought to myself as I was eating, I'm probably becoming a part of that trend right now. People are watching me eat. Anyhow, you can keep that handy. I don't care. Food is I'll make you happy. Food is the. Um, so, this is what I I I'd, I'd like to. Your questions were very provocative. Uh, Jess sent us questions, and I also was listening to the podcast. I heard half of it as I was coming here. And so I still have this, this, I'm still marinating on everything that I heard from Kelly. Uh, oh, Kelly, Kelly Brogan. Thank you, Jess, for sharing that. Uh, the episode by uh, uh, Kelly Brogan, MD, which I'll link in the episode notes. Um, and I'll just read the two sentences from that. It said, in, the ep in this episode, Kelly debunks common myths about medications and discusses the importance of reclaiming personal power to create the right conditions of healing. She highlights the dangers 
of the dangers of antidepressants, <clears throat> the active placebo effect, and how medications can perpetuate the very problems they purport to solve. So we'll link to that. Uh, but what I wanted to say is, <clears throat> is anybody listening to this, because we went right into it, I don't want anyone to get you for viewers and listeners or people who are not what's left followers. They know us. And so they probably don't maybe misconstrue things that we're saying because they've heard a previous episode. But for anyone listening to just this episode, people might think we are <clears throat> even sharing with Ke that episode of Kelly Burton. That we might be dismissive of mental health, right? That we are simply saying, oh, it's and I and it's just it's all in your head kind of deal. That's what it that episode could be misinterpreted as that you shared. And even some of the things that we're going to be saying could be misinterpreted that way. And I honestly think that we're saying the opposite. And we are, as you've shared before about women's circles, Jess, you've talked about women's circles before. And uh, um, we're not mental health as it is stated or discussed in the medical industry, in the, in the, in, in the pharmaceutical industry is, completely different from how we are discussing. <clears throat> and I hope that that is what we are able to distinguish here because I do believe people are having, and especially I have a lot of crises um, in, our, in our society. I mean, you might, any one of you might differ differently, but this is the way I see it. I believe that we have become so alienated from our tribes, uh, from our and I don't mean uh, identity politics tribes. I mean from uh, from the way that we used to operate in societies that were more interconnected and, and looked after each other than the way that we're operating now, which is everyone doing, you know, it's a very capitalist way of thinking, which is everybody separate and doing their own thing and dog-eats-dog -dog kind of world, right? Very individualistic. And... I, I think that, that what we're experiencing today, and I'll share other episodes that I've also heard on KPFA, which um, I'm still holding on to in a very careful, cautious way, because, of course, they were very pro-censorship at some point. But one of the episodes that I heard was about how capitalism has really brought about uh, the side effects of capitalist, a capitalist society are just all of this arising of, of, of quote, mental health disorders. Like it's it's more of that that's happening because of how um, dysfunctional we've become, and uh, and uh, in a capitalist society, the pharmaceutical industry is going to do things that are going to do what make profits, right? It's about that money, and so they're going to try and medicate everyone, and that's the way that we have to do things. And in that episode by Kelly Burton, I think I said her last name right. You just Brogan. said Rogan. Thank you, Rogan. Thank you. Correct. You just in that episode, one thing that did strike out to me was how people believe when you go to a doctor, instead of discussing the things that are happening around, the issue is ourself. What we, the problem is is who we are. We are the problem, and so we have to be solved. And I was sharing with both of you right before the start of this episode that there were <clears throat> that i i have a, a dear loved one of mine who had um some struggles and so 
I recommended, I said, okay, well, well, let's just see if maybe you might want to do therapy, right? And so he did. And and when he went to go just for after 30 minutes of seeing a therapist, he just was prescribed medication. And that's after just 30 minutes. You don't know anything about this person except for a few of their relationship issues, maybe their relationship with their mother, nothing about who they are as an individual, what they do, what are their passions, what are their interests, what are they eating, are they sleeping well, if they are in communication, if they have any sort of safety network, if they have a friendship network, if they have, if they've traveled, if they are, you know, having great sex, nothing about that is being discussed. Everything is, you have an issue with you. And as you were saying, just I've heard that as well. I was even told that at some point when I was an adolescent, you have a chemical imbalance. Everyone has a chemical imbalance, suddenly. Everyone, everyone has a chemical imbalance. So I, um, and I stated jokingly, and I kind of do say because some, some seriousness, I don't want anyone to, like, this is a kind of like a disclaimer because I feel like what Jess was saying, we're going to get, you know, we're going to get by YouTube and everybody is going to try to uh, shut this episode down. I I think what is being what is not being discussed is uh, how much more we need of, of of ourselves as people to be in connection with one another than to be just labeled as easily as you have this issue and you're the problem with it. You know, I um, I've also discussed about fostering a child before and uh, when I dug into the history of, uh, their background, the first thing that I noticed was the diagnosis that was done for them at four years old. To be diagnosed with ADHD at four years old, which is the very same thing they were trying to do for my nephew at five, because he hadn't been to school because we had him homeschooled for the first five years. And I would just take him out to the park. There was no structure. So the first time he went to transitional kindergarten, suddenly, uh, maybe there might be some special support, special ed support. And that was, maybe there might be something that might need to be diagnosed because they might have a, a, a disability or, uh, as they would say, um, learning disability that a child might have. Which if we were to dig up the thousands of IEPs, individualized education plans that, are, that, are, that there are for students in special ed, because of their behavior issues. You know this, Andy. How many black and brown children were labeled ADHD, ADD? How many of our children in general in this country are being told they have issues and they're being in special ed courses, classes, and teachers, as exhausted as they are, I understand it, which is another plight, but the issue of just try of like, how do we deal with these students? Label them. Label them, put them away somewhere, give them extra support, Legally, because that's what we can give them. That's the only way we can give these students support, really. Give them uh, social workers and all. is by giving them uh, more humans. But how do you give them more humans? Well, you have to have some legal requirement to have them I to give them an IEP so that they can have that support. And yet it's still not enough, right? So uh, I think I'm opening up all kinds of veins here. The last vein I'll, I'll, I'll just open up is that 
Uh, oh, just just because we were talking about how these sh sh these shootings, right? It our students, their mental health issues, to put it conventionally. I know that uh, Kelly uh, Kelly uh, uh, Brogan says so-called uh, mental health issue. If there's something like that, I hope I'm not misquoting her. She might get upset if she ever hears this. Uh, well, I, I, I know that people say our kids um, have a lot of mental health issues, but I really don't see how a pandemia, pandemic, and the shutting down of schools and anyone talking about these things. We've already discussed this. So I'm not gonna. We can always refer to the episodes we've done before, and the and the move for more tech, how the very same people who claim to care about our students were also deciding to shut down our schools and also pushing for more tech. And no one, they don't do anything about it, but they care about our students. So um, we might not go into that one because as I said, we already discussed that in a previous episode that we can share in the link below. But but I, I really think that the issue is not of our children, not of our, our ourselves as adults or our, in, our, our, our own psyche, but the real issue is, and uh, it, it, it's just the lack of connection that we're having in our society and the push for these meds that are actually causing more issues than they are uh, solving. So I'll stop there. Maybe I've, I've opened up Pandora box there. Yeah, I guess I'll jump in. Just, I feel like, I don't feel like, I know there's so much fear mongering with just the way that, I mean, everything, like it's not even just like this particular subject, but like, I, I agree with you, Eduardo, that the average mental health, like the mental health of the average American is increasingly horrible. Um, I'm not trying to say that like everybody's just fine, but I think the way that it gets framed, which like in your examples of like that, the school, the way that it's treated in schools of like, you know, you have to have an IP and you get your diagnosis and then you get like these like quote unquote support services and you get funneled through this, pathway or whatever the choice that is set up in the mainstream framework is oh you have poor mental health something's going on you can get your diagnosis most likely be medicated or nothing <laughs> you know as as if like these are the only two choices and yeah like people do have really poor mental health on average Especially with kids, you know, there's there's a lot of evidence to suggest that a lot of these issues resolve themselves. Um, and people don't like when you say that because it they interpret it as like, oh, you just want to like be neglectful and you just want to like let your kid be depressed or let your kid be miserable or like, oh, my worst case scenario. And you hear this like a little bit of a side note, but this is the the sort of mind manipulation with the like trans stuff in terms of medicating young kids is like oh well they're gonna kill themselves if you don't if you don't take them in and get them these drugs um and it's just not true right like nobody's asking well 
what's wrong with the school system? Like, why do you have to have a diagnosis and an IEP in order to get quote unquote support? Um, what's, what's wrong with like, you know, the screens you brought up, right? I mean, we know there's been, I don't know how many studies about like the effect of Instagram, especially on like teenage girls and young girls. And that it is like literally creating mental health problems and even suicide. And nobody ever discusses like the possibility of, well, maybe we should just fucking shut it off. (laughs) You know, like that's not a possibility. It's like drugs or we're fucked. And I just feel like so much of, especially in medicine, you know, like this is the way the COVID vaccines were framed. Either you get the vaccine or you're going to die or you're going to kill someone. You're going to be a grandma killer. Those are the two choices. There's no like no discussion of exercise, which by the way is like, I think, pretty much pretty well documented as like that is the number one intervention in terms of actually um helping i'm not saying that it's like a a fix-all or some sort of panacea but you know just like these basic things that are just not even on the table and like you're saying you can literally walk into a doctor's office it didn't even take 30 minutes for me like this was probably i don't know mid like 2016 or so, like I remember going into a doctor's office was the first time I'd met the doctor. It was less than 15 minutes before I was offered. Like I just mentioned the word anxiety, like low level anxiety. And it was like, oh, I can offer you this drug, this drug, and this drug. Like candy, like it was candy. Just crazy. No discussion of side effects, no discussion of like what was actually going on. Um, So I just, I think like the, I mean, obviously, like the pharmaceuticals themselves are <laughs> the, a problem, but so much of the framing like happens just with like narrative shaping and the way that like choice is presented. Um, and it's and now like especially in the current era and especially in places like schools and places where sort of like liberal like you know neoliberal ideology is kind of become the norm any critique even like just the mention of exercise or the mention of um anything alternative um is like stigmatizing mental health and you can't stigmatize mental health because that's mean and that hurts people's feelings so get in line you know um so yeah I'll, i'll stop there and see if you have thoughts andy yeah <clears throat> I mean the framework so even the, the framework even for people who have been against what's going on with these vaccines um uh you know often talk about the globalists taking over the world and things like that um but who 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 oppose what's going on with the vaccines who oppose what's going on with digital IDs who oppose what's going on with what they claim or the building of a new world order but want to hold on to the notion of keeping capitalism. I feel like this topic proves that that is a de- that's a complete dead end. Because and this what what I found so meaningful about the way Kelly Brogan talked about it is she said mental health or people we are claiming have mental health issues, whether that be our students, whether that be me, whether that be Jessica, whether that be Eduardo, whether that be loved ones of ours, they are. First of all, she says, to 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 be stable in a crazy system is actually insane. Like there's something wrong. Anything that's a if you if you live in a crazy world, 
then of course it's going to have expressions in yourself and it would actually be kind of strange to you or yourself not to be crazy. So in fact, it is a sign of your health because she's she does critique the system. I don't know if she's anti-capitalist. I am. I don't know if she is, but I'll get to that, you know, that more. It's a sign of your health that you're that because of your instability when you are thrust in this kind of world, that you have that instability. Um, and and I agree with that. And I, I, I think hearing her say that really made it clear to me that when I look at the students who are coming into my school right now and who have been, I fucked over by vaccines, like a, a whole battery of 53 different shots. Not even, we're not even talking COVID vaccine. We're just talking about the, the, the regular ones where the raised and autism and, and I do believe ADHD things affect, it will amplify that. But when, so there are drug things we're giving those kids to do that. And we, there's nutritional basis to, to what that's doing. And then we know the screen stuff that we're doing. And then we know the separation thing we're doing. So there's a whole layer after layer after layer that is driving our kids insane. And it's the, it's the same system that drove, that has tri tried and has succeeded in driving us insane because our insanity is to have think, thought that this is a normal world to live in. And anybody who was actually sane would, if they were, if they were thrust in this world, I think would be like, what the fuck are you doing? They wouldn't just say that to the kids. They'd say it to me, like, because you're like, how did you acclimate yourself to this? And that's a very good question. And I think that that process, an insane world has to drive workers insane. And that's what capitalism does. I've often talked about it just in terms of alienation, but all alienation is, is capital, capitalists, capitalism need needing to drive workers crazy. And that's what it has to do in order to succeed and survive. And it has various ways of both gaslighting you but also separating you from each other and separating you from yourself. And, and, and it describes a process of that, calls it alienation, but it's just crazy making stuff. And so, so the, there's a problem when instead of looking at the students who are coming in and saying like, what, do I, what, can, what can we give those students? What can we do to those students? Really the question is, why, what's wrong with society that is producing people like this, that is doing this to people who didn't, this is not what they were like when they, when they first were born into the, into the world. They, they weren't like this. And it's done all this sort of stuff to them. And there will be no way of solving this and keeping capitalism, folks. That's the first thing I want to say is I don't know what people have in mind for a revolution, but it's going to have to be a fundamental. We're going to have to turn everything over. And I believe the system we're running in is capitalism. And that's why I don't think if we're fighting this, we're going to have to fight the whole thing. Um, I guess that's what I'll say. And the. The, the the really struck me that question you asked of Jessica when you said how different is um, the methamphetamine crystal meth from Adderall and and I was like what's Adderall oh Adderall is what they give or one of the drugs that they do give for for um, uh, for people with ADHD um, and that? Everyone has ADHD. Find yeah. me someone who doesn't have ADHD if they've gone to a doctor. But I, I'd like, can I show this thing? Mm -hmm. All right, hold on. I mean, I think it's going to come when you see it. I just like, it's like amazing to me. So here they are. Let me get this, get rid of this thing down at the bottom here. Okay, that's gone. Put this over here. Um, this is methamphetamine. This is like the drugs that you say you'd go to jail for, for selling. This is the drug that you would say, oh, if somebody was on it, you'd say, get help immediately. This is it right here. A little benzene group. This is a carbon. This is a carbon. This is a methyl group down here. 
then it's connected to an amide group and then another methyl group. And here's Adderall. You've got the same funnel group, you've got the same linkage to a carbon, you've got the same linkage to another carbon and this methyl group down here. You've got the same nitrogen right here, if you notice, both of them right here. The only difference is you replace this one hydrogen here with a methyl group. And there you've got, you take one methyl, methyl group off of crystal meth and you've got your ADHD treatment. It's, mm -hmm. I mean, it's insane. And yet we're gonna like, we're gonna throw people in jail and call people drug addicts for taking this. And we're going to uh, give all our kids this drug right here and uh, pharmaceutical, com pharmaceutical companies will become rich off of doing it. And in fact, it's going to be partially a result of all the vaccinations that they've been giving kids um, that they've also been getting rich off of. I don't think about this whole thing run by big pharma, but there is a medical assault on the entire working class. This is not a, it's not a health industry. It's a sickness industry. And, and things like that, when I look at that, I'm like, that's insanity. Um, and and then, for children I, too, like, like, would you give your kid right. and, and that drugs like that look like that methamphetamine are part of a battery of drugs that are used for adults to treat depression as well. You get your SSRI, which is supposed to like deal with the serotonin effect, which they now are saying that it doesn't even have that effect. And you're going to get your upper. And, and well, it really ties to like your thing about capitalism, because like you said, I mean, crystal meth, like the, the real difference between those two drugs is just the level of societal <laughs> acceptance of the drug itself and the dealer, right? Like one is coded as illegal, unethical, dangerous, mostly for black people, addicts. And yeah, if you're dealing, you're, you're seriously risking some. Yeah. And, and, and of course, and the other one is coming from, uh, you know, a professional, educated, got his degrees on the wall. Um, and not only are you not going to be stigmatized for that in the current sort of woke cultural climate, you might actually be applauded. Look at you. you you're special. Mm -hmm. Like you, you're handling this <laughs> mental health issue. And, and here's all these. I mean, I like it really. Like sitting in academic meetings and hearing this discussed, it really is like I'm not exaggerating. This is like how people talk about it. And I'm not trying to like minimize like actual problems that people have. Yeah, that we are sick. We're very sick, but <laughs> yeah, it's just it's fucked up. Right. Uh, Did I cut you off, Andy? Sorry, I think. No, no, it, it was just there was something, and the thing I never haven't looked into because really the, the crystal meth and Adderall are effectively the same almost the same molecule. Um, the question I don't know is dosage, right? Like when it's given, when it's given to a person who has an OD or something like that, how what what level of concentration is in that tablet compared to the dosage of they? I, I don't actually know the answer to that, but. If what they're basically saying is if you can dose down crystal meth well enough, then you can essentially get a drug that treats ADHD. That's essentially what we're saying. And do you do you believe in that? Like, folks, like, do you believe that if we just give our kids the proper amount of crystal meth, we can make them able to, to focus better in school? Um, and it and one question I was talking with Brandy about this, like 
you know, like, well, how is it that you, you have something that like really amps you up that would make you focus better? And I have that for me, I have that answer when I think about caffeine, um, caffeine does play a role. I mean, I gotta admit does play a role. I can focus, but in a particular way on that drug. Um, but then of course, even more recently, I'm still finding myself getting shakier and shakier if I drink too much coffee and things like that. So it, it's, these are not answers to, these are not answers to questions. Like, why am I getting foggy? Why am I having a difficult time focusing? I think the real question is, is what's changing, what's going on in the world? What's changing in my life? What's going on around me that, you know, that's causing me to, to have such anxiety. And if, if you can go into a doctor's office and get that question answered in 30 minutes by just tell them telling you a drug, that's again, that's a crazy world. Yeah. And like, I think I've put in my long list of questions, like you're, you're not crazy. You know, you're not stigmatized. If you're taking Adderall, you're taking Loxapro or whatever it is, but like the fucking reactions that I get for taking like a reishi tincture, <laughs> which is just like fucking straight out of the ground. Like, oh, I'm a wild, insane cuckoo person who is borderline like dangerous to society. <laughs> just... uh, right. But I would say that people who take these drugs are stigmatized. No one, I don't know people who would proudly go, oh, here, I do this. I think most people almost, it's a, it's a, there's shame in, in it. They feel like there's something wrong with me. I need these things. Actually, I, I feel like they're, 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 they're getting played on two ends. One on the end of, I do think these things are doing harm to them, but I also think they are shamed into also saying, thinking I, there's something wrong with me because I need these things. And I certainly don't want to admit this to people who I don't necessarily know that well. Um, I don't, I don't see people who've taken these, who are on these medications as being proud of it, I actually see them more hiding of hiding it. Um, even at the same time, they feel like they definitely need it. Maybe not in every context. And in, I think it depends on what, like ADHD. I, I have seen people, I have ADHD. Look at my, look at this toy that I used to, to fix it. And I'm on this drug. And let me tell you, I, I don't know. I mean, there's a, there's a, a level of sort of stigmatization. There's also a level. Think about how I want to phrase this to not sound like an asshole and not sound because I'm not trying to dismiss like the real experience of e even like low level anxiety. Um, but I do think there is a sort of way that just diagnoses in general play on people's innate narcissism and i'm saying this as somebody who has like you know been narcissist and i'm not saying that like because you are able to communicate that you're experiencing you know x amount of depression or inability to focus like i think it's important to be able to communicate that and to not be stigmatized for whatever it is so, some of these things are just part of the human experience and part of growing up, especially for kids, you know, like, especially like, you know, teenage years, like those are, those are hard years for a lot of people. They're supposed to be hard, you know? And I think people are more resilient than they want to believe. 
Um, so this is not coming from a place of like, oh, everybody's just so like terrible and narcissistic. But I do think there's a there's a way in which the industry kind of preys on this like feeling of like, like, yes, like there's something wrong with you. Your chemicals are out of whack, but also like you're special. Like you're special because we're going to give you this word for what you have that like, like rather than what would truly be an experience of sort of self-acceptance and self um, like the belief that you can heal or the belief that there's actually nothing wrong with you and that you are responding to a set of circumstances you know you're experiencing an emotion you're um yeah I mean you're you're not the psycho most of the time you're not the psycho like you said Andy like the world is off like deeply deeply off right the the, the thing the, the overquoted saying right that it's there what is it there's uh it's like not a virtue to be to be well adjusted to a sick world or something. Help me out. Oh, I I have it. If you want, it is no sign of health to be well adapted to a profoundly sick society. Yes. Thank you. Yes. You can feel free to edit out the 25 seconds of me. (laughs) And that, but that, that was Kelly Brogan quoting. I don't think she, I think that's she was quoting somebody else basically. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know who that's attributed to, but like, I don't know. I just, uh, yeah. Back to the narcissism thing. I I think there's, they play it from all angles. Like they play it from whatever, like if it's profitable to sort of weaponize it and stigmatize people, they do that. If it's profitable to make people feel like they're being taken care of and like science is here to save them. The doctor's here to save them. Trust me, just take this drug um, and it'll fix you. I think all of this is, I mean, a lot of people will say like, oh, it's just like putting a Band-Aid on rather than dealing with the underlying cause. But I don't even think it's that. If it's a Band-Aid, it's a Band-Aid with like spikes and poison on it. You know, like it's not even that, I don't think. Um, Where like the real, you know, the real healing would be, you know, for somebody to say like, you're, there's nothing wrong with you. Your body has the capacity to heal from from anything really right and um you're not sort of broken and it's actually a lot of work to take on like whether it's lifestyle changes or time or um changing the sort of community support that you have in your life um and of course like if you're a kid a lot of these things you know are sort of out of your, out of your control to some degree um, so it puts a lot on on parents. Like, I mean, if you're working two jobs, you're a single parent. Like, it's a lot easier to just do what the doctor tells you. If you have this thing that can help your kid feel better, why wouldn't you take that? Yep. That's how they present it. Um, mm-hmm. Anyway, sorry, I, I'm just spiraling here. So someone take over. <laughs> Did you want to say something? And I have a lot to say. I. Um. I guess I, I, the one thing I guess I would, I would disagree with what you're saying, Jessica, and like, I'm just picking the one thing I disagree out yeah. is that at least in my experience, 
And when I think about families who deal with this, when I think about people I know who, who deal with this kind of stuff, it's it, none of it seems rooted in narcissism. It, it seems rooted in a, in the, the other word you used, a deep sense of helpless, helplessness, help, feeling helpless. Um, and like, I do think of, I mean, we talk about, we've, we've talked about, we've talked about sexual abuse. We've talked about physical abuse, but an area that I think, even if a person hasn't experienced that and had the helplessness that comes from as a child experiencing that, cause that's, I don't think that produces arrogant people. Although sometimes we can see arrogance comes out as a sideways way of really insecurity, but I'm not really talking about that. I'm, I think most most of those experiences by young children produce a deep sense of helplessness um, when they've experienced that. But neglect, but even if you don't experience those, neglect and being left alone and being isolated or feeling completely detached from your family or in some way, that in and of itself, I feel like hits just as hard as a hammer as any sexual abuse. And there's talk about Dalai Lama and doing weird shit. I think that right there is hits just as hard to young people um, as any sexual abuse or physical abuse does. And it leaves a person, and then they've experienced that at a young age, really wondering, feeling, have no, having no sense of self-center, if you will, no centered self that often comes from feeling loved when you're young and really feeling that and loved by a community, not just one person or whatever, but really felt feeling seen and taken care of within a whole fabric of a community. I think that is essential for health. Um, then that person is going to look like feeling and having no center themselves is just looking to find some kind of life, life raft. What is, what's that circular thing called? Um, uh, when you throw it out to a person on the water, a lifeboat, an a, li a lifeboat or a life preserver, a life pres preserver thrown to them and they grab it. <laughs> yeah. But you know, something like that and they grab it and they hold on to it. And, and that's what, that's, what's being offered from these people who are practitioners of the very system that made them sick. Um, and so, and, and what they are, what they are, they're giving them a life, seem, seemingly a, 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 what's it called? A, a life preserver. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, they're giving a life preserver, but that thing is actually going to sink. That thing's actually going to bring them underwater and they don't even know it. And, and, and that's the way it's worked. It's supposed to work that way. The doctors who are prescribing it don't think that, but again, just like, Teachers were all part and all trained, head fixed in the sick system to, to generally see the problem as the patient or the student, not the problem with the system that is producing these effects. Um, and so that's the only thing I might, I might want to counter in what you said. I agree with everything else. Yeah. And I mean, it is worth pointing out that like the problem is probably, no, I think it is worse um, by some amount in the United States because this more than any other country, right? Like we actually have direct to consumer pharmaceutical ads, like literally they can talk through your fucking TV screen, which is not the case in the majority of countries. We have reps, you know, pharmaceutical reps coming in, taking doctors to dinner, you know, shoving this study or this study in front of their face, right? Like it's so from the second they step foot into medical school, everything is curated, sponsored, um, pushed so yeah it's not like i don't know i think it's i mean the the rates of medication are are just higher almost across mm -hmm. the board for americans so i think it's i'm just thinking about some of our conversations about like why didn't americans push back 
you know, during COVID, for example, like comparatively to some other countries. And I'm not saying it's like, this is the only reason, but I do think we're like sicker. We're sicker in a lot of different ways. And this is one of them um, than some other countries. Eduardo or? Oh. I want, I should have maybe said from the onset, maybe some people always say you should be transparent. I, I personally, I, I've said before my, in my sex work episode that I have, I, I take therapy. I do once a week therapy. I was a psychotherapist. I don't take meds. And, um, and I've had in my family, I've, I've had three different individuals who have schizophrenic, who are schizophrenic. And so I don't want to, just I'm not just saying stuff like what I had said earlier as if I'm trying to be dismissive of people's personal experiences i I can't really say and I hope that this episode is looked at from that point of view that you know people are going to do right by what they feel they need for their bodies and for themselves I don't want this to suddenly to be a uh, a criticism yeah. or rather an exploration an exploration into maybe some of the preconceived notions we have been carrying. You know, I, 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 um, I used to think in the same way that most people thought about, oh, we should just be proud about our mental health. And, and, you know, if you have not to destigmatize people in the same way that like, oh my goodness, I'm opening up another can of worms here, but like even all this, like people on, I'll just say it. You know how people pride themselves in being fat and stuff. And and I I don't think that criticizing, so I'll use that as an analogy to what I'm trying to say here. I don't want anybody, as someone who's also gained weight over this past year, and who know people, I know people who also struggle with weight issues. I'm not here trying to say to them that they should be in the, like in this episode, they should be criticized for what they are, what they, but you know, in, in their positivity outlook or then trying to destigmatize um, their appreciation for their bodies. It is though, for me, maybe not for a lot of woke liberal folk, uh, an issue that we should examine and say, what can I do to better improve? My mental well-being, my my physical well-being. I I don't think that shaming anybody into trying to lose weight. I don't think any shaming anybody into seeing that their mental health is an issue. I don't think that works. But I don't also want to dismiss or I want to just go on and accept that we should just be eating as much fast food as we think that we should be that it's okay to be eating and and just also think neglect our our mental our our excuse me our physical well-being that's not also what i'm also saying if by being by not shaming or not criticizing people's physical uh well-being and so in the same way with mental health i i'm not saying for folks to be ashamed or to think that they are uh you know they 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 have these mental health issues for them to suddenly like oh i 
made it up all in my head. I I want to state clearly, there are so many factors in our society that are supporting that our our that are excuse me. So many people are labeling us as issues. We have issues with ourselves. And like you said, Jess, everybody has ADHD at this point. If you're not conforming, if you're not doing well with your grades, if you're not behaving, if you are, uh, like I have even discussed with Jess when she was here on her visit, if because of the way I think, sometimes I, some people, I get ashamed in the way that I discuss on what's left because sometimes I think I have side comments or I don't think I'm funny, but I'm just saying these things that make people laugh, which to you both might feel like it's it's amusing and endearing. But to me, it makes me feel like people, when they criticize me, I have an issue with myself when I really don't. It's just the different person of who I am, the way I think, and how many intelligences are there by Howard Gardner, who said there are way more ways of thinking and just and and performing in the world kinesthetically you know auditory uh it just creatively like there's so many ways that we stigmatize people for anyone not fitting into the mold in this cookie cutter mold that this society is trying to do so i i don't so i hope it comes it comes across that in this discussion i should for myself i'll speak for myself uh I hope it comes across what I'm saying is you have everyone is has to do some reflection and and decide for themselves. And if they are on the path that works for them, that is the path that works for them. But we are also saying, and I'll say because you brought up Reishi, that other alternatives are constantly being attacked in the media, constantly being called as wackery, wackery, quackery, quackery, right? As taking a holistic medicine. And I appreciate just you had come here and you'd given us tinctures, which I have in the kitchenette. And any sort of discussion around eating well, I was just eating my salad, you know, and I was enjoying it. And discussions around uh, exercise or discussions around community and women's circles and even the need for men's circles, as we had discussed also when we were at Kenny's place, and we had discussed how men sometimes don't know how to be expressive and show love for one another. They do it through either sexualized ways or violent ways, right? That these are the things that are being that are not being discussed, or they are being criticized, you know, and told that these are just wackery things. When we are, there are so many ways to be thinking about this alternatively. And yeah, I, I want to say more a little about that if, as we are concluding. Mm, but I want to stop there to see if both of you have to say about what I said. Well, first, I, I completely agree with you, Eduardo, like that. First of all, I'm biased. Like when Jessica brought this issue before us, I had already had my questions about brain-altering chemistry things and I've also had my counseling experience, which I've been in counseling for 14 years. At no point have I ever been introduced or even was even introduced or even thought of it being introduced to something like medication from my counselor. So I've had my own experience of like not of, of the opposite of what, you know, Eduardo, you were describing some of your friends have gone through and, and Jessica, what 
you or I think it was what you might have gone through. Um, so and 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 I d- deeply distrustful of the pharmaceutical industry. Pharmaceutical industry. So my bias is going to make me say these things are here to harm you. I, I, I'm not sure I'd, I'd recommend doing taking them because they're not even they're not going to they're only going to harm you, not help you. But as we saw with Kenny's episode about him choosing to get the COVID vaccine because he had to cross the border. And, you know, I didn't want him to do that, but that's a choice a person has to make on navigating all sorts of questions for themselves, about what they're dealing with in this world, because we're all under attack in some way, shape or form, I think by this world. Um, So Eduardo, you saying that if you hear a judgment in that, then that's, then that's a problem from us because I don't think I'm in any place to judge anyone about what they choose to do. But I can say I, this just confirms for me, Confirmation bias, I will say that all tech's going to have to go and all these drugs are going to have to go and all molecular biology is going to have to go. Like more and more shit's getting thrown out Um, in terms of for me, like I don't think there's reason for any GMO, anything, anything, you know, at this point, like let's just bring it, roll it back to just nature and humans and humans being part of nature. Um, And uh, that crystal meth that they're giving kids does not to me seem to me to be part of nature. Um, Crystal meth. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I'm fine with you saying that. <laughs> that's what it is. I mean, just, you know, so, um, so I, I just really agree with that Eduardo. And, um, and so I, I just, this for me is the beginning of another area to explore that I'm, I'm going to learn about. Um, because I also do know that people feel strongly that, if they, for some, in, in some instances, if they didn't have some of these, that these drugs that they might have taken, SSRI or ADHD, if they didn't get that drug, their life would have gone much for the worse. I, I might have say that's not true. So it is complicated. Um, but that's my framework is to say, no, I, I, I do think we're all better off without these. And we all have to find a way together um, to make a society where we can really evaluate our own health because you can't, I don't think you can evaluate it in a funhouse mirror carnival that we're in. Yeah. Okay. I just wanted to add a couple things. One you that just comes to mind because of what you just said, Andy, about like, <laughs> where we just say like, Oh, that, you know, they're not right. That it's, you know, whatever. My friend who swears, you know, she swears her antidepressants are saving her life. One thing I will say, I, I get like it's there's it's not about judging the person personally, right? It's about looking more broadly at the system, at the industry, um, and being allowed to ask a question of like somebody show me evidence, scientific evidence for why this drug should be on the market as a safe and effective treatment for depression. That's what I'm asking. I'm not asking, you know, if she's a crazy person or if she's making like a stupid decision. No, that's not what it's, that's not what I'm trying to get at. Um, Little bit of a side note, but like, it's worth bringing up the placebo effect has been documented again and again and again and again in all sorts of scenarios. And I think people kind of forget that that in and of itself, like the fact that they have to account for the placebo effect in every single drug trial ever. I mean, sometimes they do it in very shady 
like <laughs> not legitimate ways. But the fact that they have to account for that is such a testament to the power of the mind, which to me, like I, I think about that and I just think like, God damn, like what if we actually tapped into our innate power, like our actual, you know, belief in ourselves to heal, which we clearly have. Like, even when we don't realize that we have it, we do, because it literally shows up in study after study after study after study. Um, so I personally do think that some people, they, they, they so firmly believe that this pill is helping them feel better, that they do, they do. And it's not the drug, it's that belief, it's that, you know, mental um, orientation. Um, but like, what if we were able to cultivate that as a society without the drug? What if we could just tell people like how powerful they are? Anyway, in psychology yeah. might help might help with that for some. <laughs> anyway, different episode, different episode. <laughs> I do want to say, like, just on the judgment thing too, like I I'm gonna have to think more about kind of what I was getting at with the narcissism thing because I don't think I articulated it very well. Um, and I just want to make it clear that like I, I don't judge anyone. For taking a vaccine i don't judge anyone for taking an antidepressant i don't judge anyone for giving birth in a hospital etc etc that's not what it's about i just want to be able to ask questions and have these conversations you know and i think that the anger and the judgment should be directed toward the criminals and the pharmaceutical industry i mean in terms of like liability they're the greatest criminals on the planet even more than the military industrial complex yeah. um I mean, they they own they own the whole society. Um, I think there's like how many pharmaceutical lobbyists to every member of Congress? It's something crazy. Um, there was one more thing I was going to say. Um, can I also add? And we haven't talked about this. That there, there's a woman who's talking about how the pharmaceutical industry is deeply connected, and actually is a, oh, is a yeah. subset of. The again, it's a DARPA creation. It's a, it's a Department of Defense wing. Is one of the wings of it is pharmaceutical industry, pharma, so, agriculture. You know, uh, chemicals in that, chemicals for our brains, weapons. It's all. It all fucking comes from the same origin. The same people who brought you Ukraine are bringing you your Ritalin. Yeah. Oh, I know what I was going to say. I just wanted to. I mean, what? how many people are on? I did look this up, actually. Um, okay, so it's like, well, this, this is 2015 to 2018. 13.2% of Americans aged 18 and over are taking an antidepressant in the past 30 days. Uh, more than 37 million Americans are on antidepressants. Uh, this is just antidepressants, by the way, not like anti-anxiety, benzos, and all of that shit. Um, Prescriptions of antidepressants rose by 5% in 2021, 2022, and that was the sixth consecutive annual increase. So it's increased 35% in six years. Um, whatever. A lot of people are taking these. Um, there are people who don't. There are people who are not. But I just want to even like broaden this sort of frame just by mentioning that like there are a lot of really common drugs which are not like classified as like psychiatric drugs but that have psychiatric or psychotropic effects you know and one of the ones that i brought up in my like list of questions um that often gets overlooked is hormonal birth control um which a 
fuckload of women in this country are on. Um, and they're not even told. I mean, I think po- people know the kind of stereotype of like, yeah, birth control can kind of like make you crazy or it can make you cry all the time or it can make you fat or it can make you feel like you never want to have sex again and stuff like this. Right. But um, that's not really taken very seriously, at least in my experience and a lot of women that I know um, when it comes to like having conversations with the doctor and it's very, the conversations that and I, I have, you know, I was on hormonal birth control for over a decade. Um, the conversations that I hear people describing in terms of like, oh, my ADHD medicine is like making me really sleepy or it's making me, you know, act this way. Oftentimes the doctor's response is, okay, well, let's change the dosage or let's switch you to a different one. Let's do an off-label one or let's do a um, generic or let's switch the brand or whatever. And that's the exact response you get when you go in um, and say like, oh, my birth control, I think is kind of making me, you know, whatever, gain weight or making me cry for no reason um you're often told give it three months and then if it doesn't work then we'll switch you to a different brand (laughs) right like this is the solution um and they've done i mean just in terms of like personality changes like there's that famous um i think it's like the people refer to it as like the t-shirt study or whatever but like that literally like women pick different partners when they're on versus not on hormonal birth control because that's how much it affects like you know you can't just shift oh we're just going to give you this one synthetic hormone and expect that it's gonna not you know cross the blood brain barrier as they say and that it's not going to affect other things right like we're not robots so I think there's a lot of people like going back to what Eduardo was saying a little earlier about like like learning certain things about yourself, the way you communicate or what upsets you or what your traumas are, right? Like, I think there's just a lot of people walking around who literally like don't know themselves and haven't even been given the chance to know themselves because they're drugged. Like they're, I mean, it's, it sounds like something out of a horrible, like 1960s Hollywood movie, but that is the reality. Um, and I don't like I don't want to sound like I'm like infantilizing people or like to suggest that like they can't make their own choices. Of course they can, but these chemicals do have effects in the brain, you know. And in some instances, right? Like just going back to like the, you know, one of the sort of triggers for this episode, which is the the school shooting stuff, right? Like we don't know. I'm not making an argument either way, but we do not have like sufficient or definitive evidence that owning a gun is going to make you more likely to go into, I mean, I guess it will just by nature of like having access to it. Right. But like that, this is going to make you into a violent person who's going to go and like murder a bunch of people. Um, we do have definitive, and we have had it since Prozac in the 80s, we do have definitive evidence that for some people, psychiatric medicine makes them violent when they wouldn't otherwise be, right? And so like the fact that we can't even ask that question, I'm not saying it's one-to-one ratio that you take this drug and you're automatically, you know, going to be like this. But 
why like why can't we have that conversation like why is it always 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 no it's just the guns it's just the guns well everyone oh knows we've, had, we've had episodes on this stuff and we may have to update it jessica with you on because i can definitely tell you that i will i definitely believe that guns have nothing to do with how violent you are um and you know i think the the answers that they're coming up with gun control are those are state answers those that's the same state who fucked you up with drugs and who fucked you up by putting you behind in front of screens who fucked you up by setting you by separating you um now saying we're going to take your guns away from you and that's they have a reason for doing that because they have every they're trying to you know put us into a digital physical prison a digital prison control the currency and certainly don't want any people having weapons if they want to change that because people will need to have weapons to change that. Um, so uh, I think there is a definite interest behind taking by the state, getting us to believe that it's keeping us safe again by taking weapons away from workers. Um, and I'll also, you know, I think Jessica, you would definitely agree with this, which is when you think about people who fight, who actually do fight, they're usually the most peaceful, peaceful people in the world. Yeah. Something that I learned um, in thinking about preparing for this episode is that um, it's like 1% of mass shootings that are school shootings. It's so low. It's so interesting that that 1% gets... of what? 1% of mass shootings are school shootings, approximately. Oh. But it, that's like when people think mass shootings, like because of the way the media you know, privileges certain examples and not others, right? Like, I think people, like, automatically think shooting up a school for the majority, which is so and, interesting. And just to point out, Eduardo, I don't know if you heard this, but Lowell High School is starting, which is a school in San Francisco, is starting a program of instituted lockdowns, safety lockdowns, where um, what comes in can be regulated. You have to have a uh, one of those uh, QR code sorts of things. You can have it on your phone. You have an app or you can have a, a lanyard, but your ability to get in or out of the school is going to be controlled by that. And it's all being done under the, it's all, it's very digital. It's very lockdowny. It's very like social credit. Oh, and the people who can go in and out may be also attributable to how tardy are you? What are your grades like? Things like that. They're building a social credit system right at Lowell High School, credit built right around the world that Allison McDowell was talking about. That'll be great for everyone's mm. mental health though. Yes. <laughs> and they're and they're doing it all at this time of again they're they're talking about the mass shootings they're talking about this and so fear fear yeah. fear fear yes uh so i i was just going to say that there are along the lines of what i was saying earlier about how either it's uncovered right not covered or criticized holistic medicine Capitalism is not discussed when it comes to the side effects of its, its the system, you know. Uh, just how people, if people just see their primal needs, you know, food. If people took taking care of their primal needs, food, shelter, clothing, water, you know, I just know that when I was having Two of my friends from Venezuela come here. They were not, well, one of them is, I got to know in 
Mexico as he came over here to the USA and said how housing is such an issue. People cannot concentrate if they don't have a place to live. Currently, uh, I have a 14-year-old with her mother. My cousin, she's 14, I can say this, and my aunt, who is the mother, the mother of my 14, she, she they, um, they live in a, they live in a, in a, they live in, in a, uh, shelter here in SF. And so I switch back and forth one week. She stays with me one week. She stays with her mother. The shelter is all women, has other children, other adolescents, and it's in a, in a school that has a large auditorium. And I just know that, that this, for her to concentrate in school, just knowing what to do right after school, before 7 p.m., before they open, is like constant the issues come up because of what she's doing after school and before the shelter, these hours, because you don't have a home to go to and the food that she eats. And I remember even this happened with my foster child, just the foods that they were eating, the, 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 the attention that, the, that was not being given the connection that was needed and slowly came off meds, I was, I had suggested to um, their psychotherapist, no, psychiatrist, if we could just try a trial, a summer without meds, as long as they were with me. And we did, and it was successful. But there was a lot of exercise involved. There was a lot of changing the habits and food, and there was a change in the way, the structure of, of the day. And it was, it was a different way of doing things. And so what I'm just trying to point out with these examples are just how much other things are overtaking the, the needs of someone or the, and that's what's causing these mental health issues to arise. I've shared in, in a previous episode my sex work journey, and I remember many times that I was solicited, requested, excuse me, I have allergies and I just remember being solicited many times. And yeah, in the very beginning, it was, oh, do this for me, do that for me, this sexual act here, do this. But over time, some of those requests turned into hours-long conversations. Some of them were just not even sex. A lot of it was just human contact, massage, or this sensory experience that was necessary for this person to feel like they had some connection because they weren't getting it from their spouse or they weren't getting it in their life or they hadn't had the connection. And, and a lot of the straight men, I remember, had no way of doing things with other men. Like they didn't know how to be in connection. And a lot of it was just, they thought it was sexual. And then it was, how do I just learn how to be with someone who's not gonna harm me, who's not going to, because I was basically there to do whatever they wanted me to do. And that was a form of control. If I could see for one person in particular that I, you know, and again, I disclaimer, I'm not a sex therapist, in any way, but I remember one person who was, had been in the military in Latin America, uh, the way the aggressive manner and behavior directed towards me and touched me and trying to do things to me. I remember intervening and said, you know, I don't think I can continue doing this because everything is becoming too physically 
violent. And I, I think I'll stop here. And it was, oh, no, no, no. It didn't know, he didn't know how else to perform with me, how to behave. And so I just said, well, we could try something else, but if you're willing to explore. And through those explorations, it didn't become sexual. And it was a more of a connection that I had with this person that I still to this day feel very connected to. Obviously, I've stopped seeing this person, but it was just, how do we gain trust? How do we communicate? And how do we know how to feel safe around another person that isn't going to that isn't going to do anything to you? Because most of his childhood was being sexually abused by someone else and needing to do that for someone else, needing to control and abuse someone else. And that target was to pay someone to do that because, you know, you can't do that in society. Otherwise, you're going to be labeled, you know, sexual assault or whatever. You're going to be doing something that you shouldn't do because it's not consensual. Whereas I was consenting, but in exchange for some rates and also with limits, right? But then it transformed into this other thing, which is, it became something else entirely. It became a connection with this other person that I have found. And that that was something that changed. And I realized just from that, how much people don't know how to behave in, 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 in a society that we're just messed up. We don't have the connection. And I also, moving on from like those that kind of work also just older people and women also who weren't happy in their marriages, who felt that they were just stuck in them because according to them, they had no other way to leave the marriage and they were rich. And normally they tend to be white and rich women <laughs> who lived in Pacific Heights, uh, but tended to have this, uh, this, this desperation in their relationship because they didn't have enough physical contact or affection from their spouses who weren't home and probably cheating on them, you know? And and just also the older people who, who didn't who lost friends and didn't know who to go turn to. A lot of gay men in San Francisco don't they because of you know they become less attractive in the community or so to speak. Then they start hiring young people and and then they in, in my case they just wanted to someone to feel in connection with. You know, and so these things happen. And now back to away from sex work, the relationships I have with my family and the relationships I have with my my brother and and former students who are now older, I should say they're consenting adults. Just but as a platonic relationships that I have with my friends and community members, it just shows how much people need those tribes, that's what I was talking about, you know, and the necessity for that, that we're not having, you know. I feel so much more at ease when I can discuss my issues with another parent or another family member at my school site than I feel with educators. I don't feel connected. I feel more like it's hostile. I feel defensive. But whereas I can just feel connected with someone in particular, one parent in particular. And this is not woo-woo stuff, as I'm going to just conclude here. There was an episode that I want people to listen to, which is a very easy episode called Alone Enough by Radiolab. And I'll share it in the in the description, in the episode notes. And it's about this woman, Lyle Wilcox, who is a rock star in the world of competitive bikepacking. And she broke the record for, for men and women in doing, I think, 18 days of competitive uh, bikepacking. And when she won, people doubted her win. Why? 
They doubted her win because she was being filmed. There was a filming crew that from the distance were filming and documenting her, 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 her journey. And the person filming her was her wife. And when they just, they, 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 at the, at the, when she won her, her, this, this competitive bikepacking, uh, uh, competition, they said, you had emotional support right there, which is one of the reasons why you probably won. And so in this episode, Radio Lab, they discuss the science of what it does when you're in presence of another person, even when you're enduring hardships and crises. And I recommend anybody to listen to this episode because there's, a, there's some scientists. And I say that not because I think we need scientists, but because I know some people who listen, the viewers and listeners might like, oh, well, where's the science? So for people who want that, there it is. So in this episode, they break down the science of what it does to have that emotional support and in connect, that connection you have with one another. And they talk about Lyle Wilcox and her emotional support as one of the reasons why they dis discounted her win, even though now she's going back to that competitive race again and she's going to redo it without any emotional support and show that she did it without it. But it is an a, a interesting discussion about what does it mean to do things in connection or to have people when you are normally what we, I think we celebrate in this society is the celebration of individualism and solitude and you can do it yourself and you don't need anybody, right? But what is it when you do have that care for one another, right? Like, like when... Andy, I appreciate it. You had called me about your shared experience this past weekend. And I appreciate Jess being here physically with us. And I had some emotional moments where I shared some things with Jess. And it was different than I would have received over this right uh, video call. And, and strengthening those relationships and having that support, the emotional support, the eating well, the exercise that we need, the, dis the need for us to be in nature and gardening and to be out doing these things these are the things that i think are being dismissed so i guess that's what i want to state as what do we do about it or what do we need then if we're not taking these pharmaceutical pharmaceutical meds it's also the exploration as i had said that no one is i hope no one i'm not as jess also mentioned we're not attacking individuals here people in particular who are, have mental health issues as i'll as i'll just say for conventional use but uh but really attacking the whole industry that is trying to sell everyone that you something's wrong with you. And I invite people to really look at themselves and explore for themselves what can they do differently for themselves that they might be lacking of, which is that emotional support connection I was discussing, you know, which is a discussion about how to communicate with your partner and your sex life and how that is uncomfortable and also having more family and friends involved whoever that chosen family of yours is to just to be there and how do you eat differently and as all the things I already said right to take care and of those sleep. needs you always forget thank sleep you. Eduardo I'm calling thank you thank you, you. Don't and Jess is always that. calling me out for it and I appreciate it I appreciate a good friend calling me out for it and she is right don't ever say she to a Brit you have to say their name when they're in presence with you so Jess is correct yes <laughs> yes and sleep I appreciate that very much Jess and calling it out uh you know and and that's what I think that this is uh, a call for 
more than anything. It's to examine ourselves, to find a way to bring more health into our life, both physically, spiritually, uh, uh, mentally, right? Oh, anyhow. I think that's a good, I think that's a good way to wrap up. And it just that last part made me think about that saying, or I don't know, quote, I don't know if it's like attributed to someone, but just the saying that uh, healing is the highest form of revolution, which I, I think I increasingly agree with that. Yeah. And it, obviously, like you said, there's different types of healing, spiritual, physical, psychological intergenerational etc etc but um yeah i think that's a good question like a good question to ask is like well what what needs to be possible like what what do we need to change to make healing possible and thus to make revolution possible Mm. and take more mushrooms reishi or any other ones that might be necessary yeah, little reishi never hurt anybody. Not me. <laughs> reishi you can eat doesn't do anything to you, Andy. We'll see. That's another area that maybe I still have questions. We'll about. discuss it. Edward right. will take you to the forest and discuss. <laughs> no, consensually. Yeah, that's the other thing we didn't talk about is informed consent, which does not exist. But right. I- that does it for this week's episode. Uh, What's Left is a political podcast slash channel challenge in the mainstream from left. We post information about our topics and our guests and the episode notes where we found this episode or on our blog at whatsleftpodcast.com. You can find past episodes to this podcast slash channel there and connect with us. I remind folks, if you like anything you have heard here, please subscribe, rate, review, turn on your notification, turn on your notifications to any of our platforms on Spotify, iTunes Podcast, Stitcher, Google Play, BitChute, Odyssey, YouTube, Rumble, or Telegram. You can find our blog and any of those links in the episode notes where we have this episode. And if you would like to give us feedback about something you've heard or suggest something for us to cover, contact us through our blog where Andy will answer. I'm Eduardo Marca with co-hosts Jessica and Andy Lipson. And you can find our social media handles as at ZPKE and at Don Eduardo Barca on Instagram and Jess's Twitter handles at jhomie89. Thank you very much. Ciao. Ciao.